Good afternoon, good evening, and welcome to the bullpen. Hey. I'm one of your hosts, I'm David Drink, I'm joined by Mr. Jamie Ramage. Hope you're all doing okay, and I hope you'll give our special guest a very warm bullpen welcome. Please welcome Mr. Matthew Gray. How are Aloha, you, guys. How you doing? This is like you said good evening when you started off the show, but it's like 7.30 in the morning here in Honolulu. So <laughs> yeah. it's like this is a worldwide thing we're doing now. It is. We're all, <laughs> we're all connected 24-7. Absolutely. Well, really nice to, to be here. Thank you for the invite. I think we're going to have a really good time. Mm, yeah. Thanks for offering your, your time and your expertise, I'm hoping. Um. Before we get into it and, and talk about you and your life, explain to the listeners your um, current climate and, and, and weather around where you are right now. Well, Hawaii usually has just one season. And I know that's hard to digest for most people around the world. It's always like going to be somewhere between 80 degrees and 90 degrees. Mm -hmm. And it's always going to be beautiful blue skies and windy weather and occasional rain, uh, actually often frequent rain, uh, but it, it's only momentary. So we don't get thunder showers because the trade winds blow the clouds through the atmosphere so quickly. So we don't get the thunder and the lightning that people all over the world do. Um, so it stays really lush here. And it's it's always quite beautiful. People come to Hawaii for the weather, and uh, they really love that. That's a it's a big getaway for folks from all over the world. I can imagine. Yeah. And yeah. how long have you been there? Oh boy, since '93. Mm. So it's been a long ass time. I I probably am two to three times older than you guys and <laughs> no. most of your audience so you know it's just part of the thing it, it was one point in my life where I was always the youngest person in the room and then there was a small period of time where I was about the same age as everyone now I'm in the stage of life where I'm usually the oldest person in the room so there you go <laughs> um now correct me if I'm wrong with the dates as, as we, we said off off air you Trained as a chef in, was it 77? Uh, yeah, 77 uh, until 81 in London. Mm -hmm. So I am a huge Anglophile, and uh, that that's part of what attracted me to you guys. And of course, calling yourselves the bullpen was a major you know, positive because I'm a baseball freak. Oh. And so I couldn't believe that there are people from the UK who dig american mlb baseball so that was a big part of why you know i wanted to come on and, and chat with you guys about that so which of the two of you david jamie are the bigger baseball fans are you both big baseball fans that's a good question i think you've been I, a fan for longer jamie i have but um yeah as a red sox this year i've really been paying attention so um, <laughs> um and then obviously uh, Mr. Drink has been following the Padres who have been one of their best seasons in a long, long time. Mm. So, Jamie, I'm sorry about the Red Sox. I send my condolences to you. <laughs> and, David, sorry. congratulations to you. The Padres are kicking ass. They are. Um, you can see behind me. I don't know if you can see in the, the camera. I've got Mr. Tatis Jr. there, who the has most, played the... a total of no minutes of yep, baseball this yep. season. He's like the most uh, embarrassing and shameful person in the MLB this year. It's too bad because we're all looking forward to a great season by him. He made baseball very exciting. Mm. 
Who do you follow as a, as a fan? I'm a Yankees fan because I was born in New York mm-hmm. and grew up there till the age of 10. And that's when my family moved to Los Angeles. Uh, they didn't tell me right away, but I eventually <laughs> caught up with them. And then I grew up in L.A., and, um, you know, I did a lot of stuff there. And then I moved to Honolulu in 93. And I can't move any further west and still be in the United States. So, so yeah, mostly New York, L.A., and Honolulu, aside from all that traveling that I've done. Um, what made you want to become a chef in the first place, Matthew? You know, my mom was a really good housewife kind of cook. And she... We grew up in a family that we ate when times were good and we we ate when we needed to soothe our emotional spirit and we ate during every kind of situation in between. So I grew up in a family that food was king and it was the most important part of our life. So it was emotional and it was physical and it was flavor and architecture and all that stuff. So um, I learned that wow, this is kind of nice. And so I used to use our pet dog when I was a little kid, like three years old. The dog's name was Happy. And um, I used to push Happy up against the uh, the little cabinet and step on him and as like a step stool to see what mom was cooking on the range. And I became enamored with food and flavor and aroma. And of course, this was 150 pounds ago. So now I couldn't step on a dog as a step stool. Um, but that's where I learned. So when I was three or four years old, I, I fell in love with food and one thing led to another. Mm-hmm. And I saw that, you know, everybody loves to eat. No matter what food they eat, they love to eat, and they do it multiple times a day. And so I I grew up into a person who wanted to make others feel good, and that was uh, an easy way to do that, was to cook for others. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Who are your culinary heroes, would you say? Wow. None of the people that you see on television are my culinary heroes, Um, you know, such as Gordon Ramsay, who's probably the most famous chef in the world, and Emeril Lagasse, who, you know, started the whole thing rolling. So I would just have to say some of the people I studied under um, would be considered some of my heroes. So no big names, of course, maybe thinking about Julia Child, you know, one of the originals and um, uh, of French classical cooking and that kind of thing. Um, but I would, I would say that most of my heroes are just regular folks like you who have put together wonderful food for me over the years, and I've enjoyed that. That's very kind, yeah. Who, yeah. Um, so there's usually quite a meadery type portrayal of like chefs and stuff. Do you think that's a, a fair reflection, or do you think they get... What sort of deal do you think they get? Of which kind of portrayal? Uh, kind of the uh, the really bossy kind of angry kind of dude. <laughs> well, you know that works for television, but yeah. it doesn't work in real life. As you know, if you if you treat people like crap, you're going to get some pushback. And so, when I was running kitchens in the old days, I was nice to people. And guess what? Everyone did their job and everyone was happy and we'd go out and we'd have drinks after the shift and, and all that kind of thing. But you can't get in anybody's face and be an angry dude and expect to get any sort of productive.
action out of your people. So what you see on food television is not reality in my mind. Um, the eighties, Matthew. Once yeah. you sort of qualified as a chef and you 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 got your found your feet in in the industry. What was that decade like for you? What what were you mainly up to? Where were you working? That sort of thing. Well, after I returned from London back to Los Angeles, I hired an agent. Um, people never heard of agents for chefs, but there are, especially in L.A. Mm. So you don't need an agent just to be an actor, an actress, or a musician, or whatever. Uh, but I hired an agent to try to get me some gigs as a chef uh, with people in the entertainment world. So I had previously traveled with the Eagles and Pink Floyd and Fleetwood Mac. Uh, and then after I became a chef and I hired the agent, she was able to secure positions for me cooking for those people, whether it was on the road or at hotels or in Los Angeles area. So I had the opportunity to cook for people in the entertainment field. And that was wild, you know, for a young guy to be on tour with the bands and to be cooking for people, make people feel good. So it was the whole drug, sex and rock and roll thing, you know. So it was a really great wild life for a young guy. Is there any inside stories you can share that you're allowed to share or? I almost set Robin Williams' house on fire one night. <laughs> I was trying to be all fancy and posh, and uh, I was flambéing some, some filet mignon steaks in a sauté pan, and I added a little bit too much cognac to the pan, and it exploded in my face and singed my eyebrows, and then sent off flames over to his drapes and uh, almost set his house on fire. So that was kind of wild. <laughs> um how did you find yourself then from from being this sort of world traveling chef that in all this great company to becoming a radio star what what was that shift all about you know for me guys it just it felt like i was doing my life in the most creative way possible and I never thought about things like, oh, this is going to make me money. I just went after what made me feel good. So I was doing Matthew the Primetime Chef, which was a radio show in Los Angeles, where the callers or the listeners would call in and try to give me the most compelling reason why I should leave the radio station and go to their house while on the air and then cook for them from their house. Wow. And when was this? That had to be in the in the mid eighties. That had to be in the mid eighties or something. And so you would call in and you would say, "Well, I'm a doctor on the emergency room floor. Could you come here uh, and cook for the staff?" And so whoever had the most compelling reason would win. So I ended up going to hospitals, cooking for the emergency room staff. I'd go to police precincts and cook for the guys on shift. Um, I'd go to those little gas stations, petrol stations, where the people are in the cubicle, and I'd cook for that person. I'd cook for limo drivers on the highway. Um, just all the most wild situations in the world. There might have been a couple of times where I went to a young lady's house who was doing laundry in the middle of the night, and that was the most compelling reason. So I'd go there and I'd cook for her. And it was just really a fun experience. And so I did talk radio, all different types of shows for you know probably close to 20 years of my life so far. Wow. Um, and then you, correct me if I'm wrong, afterwards you found yourself as a 
newspaper um, contributor to, to a, a food. I, yeah, I was so, a food writer and yeah. restaurant critic. Uh, during the first 15 years I was here in Hawaii. And so everything in my life has been about the written word, the spoken word, the food world, and, you know, trying to please people. And so it all kind of like was a natural thing for me just to do all of these fun things. And and now when I'm um, speaking to other young entrepreneurs, I always say, go after what feels good and just like do the creative stuff because if you worry about money, it's just going to be too much of a, of a anchor that weighs you down. Mm-hmm. But if you do things that you really dig, you're going to make the money eventually. Now, before we get on to what you currently do now, which I'm sure you're very happy to, to talk about, what is there anything that you, you feel like you could have done uh, alternative to, to being a chef? Is there anything that you felt like there was a fork and it was either this or something else? In the food world itself? Or just generally, anything. Well, you know, I pretty much have the the uh, food world pretty well covered. But other things, when I was a real little kid, there was one point they tell me that I wanted to be a tap dancer. Uh, but, you know, I'm glad that didn't work out for sure. Um, and there was a time where I wanted to be a pro ball player. Hmm. So seeing as though you guys are big time baseball fans, when I was a little kid, I met Mickey Mantle in mm. person and got to slap him on the back. And that was like something that I'll always remember. Wow. Yeah. Jesus. I know. Totally crazy. I went to the old Yankee Stadium. I met Mickey Mantle. So those were just memories that, you know, you just couldn't even like make up if, if you had the opportunity. So it was really, really amazing. Let's get into the the headline act then, if you will. Hawaii Food Tour, your current uh, business, your current venture. Explain sort of in in detail what what that is and what you do. Well, you know, I had that great job as the food writer and restaurant critic for Hawaii's largest newspaper. I started that probably in 1998, and I did that for a number of years. And then I said to everybody, I'm going to leave this job. And they said, you're going to leave this job? It's the best job in the world. You get paid to eat. You're living in Hawaii. What could be better? And I said, well, I, I have this idea. I want to do a, a tour company that, that feeds people who are traveling here to Hawaii. And that was the birth of Hawaii Food Tours. That was in 2003. I started kind of doing the research and development for that. And then the following year, 2004, started Hawaii Food Tours. And um, that was going really, really well for 16 years up until the COVID shit show Mm. uh, in March of 2020. But what we did for those 16 years was feed, educate, and entertain people every single day. Took them all over Honolulu, fed them, talked about the culture and the people and the sights and the landscape and all that other stuff. So a really great, great 16-year block of business. Mm. And is this something now that you see is going to see you into what I presume is going to be some sort of retirement? I don't know if that's even a thing in Honolulu, if you just sort of live that life now and until you, you sort of pass away. Is that something you see yourself doing for forever? or uh, Staying here in Honolulu? And, and being in, in charge of... Um, Hawaii food tours or well Hawaii food tours hasn't 
you know, it hasn't really been operating since March of 2020. So mm -hmm. what I've been doing since then is I did write a book called The Ultimate Eater's Guide for Honolulu or Hawaii. Mm -hmm. And so for people who are traveling to Hawaii, they can pick up that book. It's in a PDF form. Um, and then besides writing the book, to keep the food part of my world going is I'm now starting to just counsel people who are... Uh, wanting to learn about metabolic health or get up their medications or reverse disease and things like that. Oh, I've kind okay. of educated myself in the last four years about all of the different um, metabolic health issues. So a lot of people are obese or have diabetes. And so I help people get off medication. I help them lose weight. It's been a really fabulous kind of experience for me. I never thought I would be doing this. I mean, I guess in some ways, then the the, the pandemic, as as bad as it's been, has allowed people to 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 explore new things that they would never have had time to do in in day to day life. Yeah, you know, it's it's been a really crazy time, and I can't imagine anything worse coming along than this last three years. But hopefully, people will find their way and be able to do things that are fulfilling and illuminating and healthy for themselves, if at all possible. Hmm. Because yeah. I myself, you know, losing a really successful business like I had was devastating and crushing. And, um, you know, trying to come out of that is, is a challenge in and of itself. And mm. I'm sure you guys also have similar experiences in that. But we were quite fortunate that we had enough work there to sort of keep us sustained. So I, I was quite fortunate, really. But I know a lot of other people weren't at all sort of people in the restaurant business and people actors people in theaters it's just that their world stops i should ask you guys jamie david what do you guys do in in real life when when you're not interviewing people from all over the world and having a good chat <laughs> go on jamie you first um i yeah i work in in education i'm sort of like a uh this the second person in control of different classes so um so yeah so that's that's been quite that was quite stressful over kind of the lockdown time because there was lots of vulnerable, vulnerable kids that needed the help and then since then it's still been a challenge because everyone's just trying to catch up so oh that's yeah, neat it's and I, yeah it's good to talk to it's good to talk to the younger ones as well, sort of keep the young, fresh sort of that like outlook on things. Do they have um, uh, associations like Big Brother and Big Sister in the UK, like they do here in, in America? I'm not familiar with that. Um, I don't think they do. I think um, I think there's yeah. I think it just goes school, and then sort of. The, the government step in if they feel at, at times if they've got the funding but um, yeah no that, uh, there is, isn't really that sort of um, that sort of peer support I guess um, yeah which is, which is a shame at times I think it's a really fulfilling work isn't it welcome back everybody we are joined by our esteemed, self-styled, luckiest man in Hawaii, if I've got that right. 
Mr. Matthew Lucky, Gray. Lucky's guy in Hawaii. Definitely. Thank you for having me, guys. This is just a real blast. So are we going to talk some baseball today or what? Well, th this half we can talk about anything. anything okay. You want. So we've talked wow. about you and your business and your life. Is there anything you want to talk about? Gosh, you know, I just want to be able to, uh, you know, reach out and have a good time with everybody. I want to be able to help folks, you know, learn about food, recipes, health, getting off medicine, learning how to fight disease, all that kind of boring stuff, uh, but very, very important. And uh, definitely, if, you know, if I'm on the bullpen, we should be talking a little bit of baseball. Go on then. Let's, okay. Let's have Question. Mm -hmm. Now, living in Hawaii, we're way back in time as far as the time zones are, are concerned. So if there's an afternoon game, let's say in New York, mm -hmm. the games don't start until like six. They, they start like at six in the morning in Hawaii time. Yeah. How do you guys view MLB? And at what times? Is it on recording or is it live or how does that work? Um, it, it used to be recorded um, when I first started watching it. So they would kind of say, don't look at the score, don't look at the score. But it would, wouldn't start until about one o'clock in the morning. Um, so I guess West Coast games would be the worst kind of games because the just the time zones would be, be way off. But um, yeah, most of the coverage seems to be, doesn't seem to start until after what, 10 in the evening these mm -hmm. days. Yeah. I mean, for, for um, me and the, the, the Padres so, games, it's around about three in the morning these days for these uh, these yeah. playoff games, unfortunately. But I am a slave to the cause and I will watch them and suffer in the morning, I think. So other than Tatis, who's hanging there over your shoulder on your back closet, mm -hmm. who are some of your favourite Padres? I mean, you've got to look at this. This team is like a perfect storm of, of like Manny Machado and, and Cronenworth and uh, Darvish on pitching, it's just, it's like we had nothing. But then all of a sudden we had an amazing team, literally overnight, about two or three years ago. Right. And I, I, what I don't want to happen, and, and obviously Bob Melvin in charge now as well, which helps. But I, what I don't want to happen is that if we, whatever happens this season, that this just fades away. And we go back to becoming like, fourth best team in the division, fifth best team. You know, I want them to build on this success. If if we do win, if we don't win, I'd like to win, but we're up against some pretty good teams. Well, you know, they were 22 games behind the Dodgers in their division and mm. they were able to get to this point. So that's amazing. I think that they were they won only four or five games out of 19 games throughout the season with the Dodgers. Yeah. So them being able to do what they're doing right now is that magic moment. You know, baseball can change from one day to the next. You could have the worst team against the best team and they could take a short series. So you never know, right? I mean, we've said in other episodes, JB, that the season doesn't matter in the postseason. Mm -hmm. That record's gone. That you, you can, like, and the Red Sox proved that a couple of years ago that they have like one half fit oh, pitcher in Chris Sale. Yeah. And still made it as far as they got, which is phenomenal. Um, you know, it's been fantastic um, just watching it. Will you be watching today's games? I didn't watch last night's, um, uh -huh. the, the defeat, which I, if I'm going to lose a game, I'd like to lose, really lose a game. 
when it's like yeah. one nothing, two nothing, it's like could we have just had one or two hits and, and save this? But, well, they were getting close there, I think, in the last inning. Didn't they have a couple runners on with one out or less? Yeah. And yeah. Padres fashion, we found a way to, to snatch a defeat somehow. But. but, you know, it's crazy because the Padres, I don't know if they were the fifth or the sixth seed this year in the National League, but yeah. Philadelphia also, they were like in third place in their division and they're they're getting this far. So that's pretty mind-blowing right there. It is. And, and I think Jamie mentioned in the last episode where we beat the Mets before yeah. the Dodgers. They had an amazing season. Right. 101 game, 101 wins or something like that. Right. But we, we went against them in a pretty effective way. Yeah. So we'll see. I think fingers crossed to get this far is pretty phenomenal, actually. Do you find that a, lo a lot of your demographic... Uh, isn't aware of baseball in the same way you are because I never thought that there were a lot of people who followed baseball in the United Kingdom. So mm. that's why it kind of blew my mind when I learned that you guys were doing this show. Well, we do have this discussion with everyone we speak to. Um, and we ask them the same questions and ask us the same questions. How is it viewed over here? Um, like baseball, NFL, that sort of thing. And you've, you've got things like the the games that are starting to take place in London with the NFL, which helped that yeah, sport. London series. And then likewise with baseball, um, I think happened once or twice so far. Right. Pre-pandemic. Yeah. Um, and it's helped, I think. I think people are... I think it's just visibility of the sport, first mm -hmm. and foremost. it's You can't really find it anywhere else on like sport websites um, it's like way down there's like a footnote um, unless it's the World Series when people are a bit more attentive or like the Yankees are doing something or the Dodgers are doing something um, but I don't know hopefully like more and more people do and, and we've spoken to um, the two guys in Scotland who actually play for their, for their own yeah. team they they run a team in Scotland and and a baseball these, team baseball team yeah oh, wow and these these little teams popping up now in the UK where you know there's there's no funding but what they have got is is knowledge and maybe sometimes a, an ex semi pro that can help and just the the uh, enthusiasm of the sport and like eventually leagues will, um, will start up and there'll be championships. And with as Jamie will, will mention that these is it the not the World Cup what's it called? There's a, a GB team now. The World Baseball Classic. Mm. Yeah, they're um, they're playing in um, Phoenix next March um, against Canada, Colombia, Mexico, and the US. Wow. So uh, yeah, and from what I've heard, um, some people are actually quite optimistic about their chances as well. So I don't know whether that's um, depends on the quality of the other teams picking because I guess that's kind of pre-season isn't it for MLB so mm. um, but yeah it's um, yeah it there's there is a very hardcore kind of group that follows it um, and then and then even those that don't follow baseball will sort of still wear sort of New York Yankees kind of merchandise so baseball caps and stuff um, yeah, if you went up to them and said, can you name 
name one of their starting players, they wouldn't have a clue. So, <laughs> so yeah, has got has got has got a consciousness in in Britain and and even um, quite near here, Derby, they had a baseball ground, um, which the, the the football team played at as well. So so yeah, there is some there is some history mm. of uh, baseball in the UK. So. Are the dimensions uh, of baseball there in, in the UK the same dimensions as they are in MLB, 90 foot between the bases and 60 feet, 6 inches between the pitching mound and the home plate and all that? I'm not too sure, actually. No. Um, they played at um, the old Olympic Stadium for one of the London series, and that I think that was a lot smaller. Um, it was quite a high-scoring game. So, um, so yeah, uh, but we have been meaning to actually get to kind of uh, uh, a proper league baseball match and see what happens. But they usually play on quite open parks, so uh, I'm not sure how how that would work. Mm. Yeah, I don't recall there being like a, a proper baseball ground stadium set up anywhere in the UK, if there is one. Probably the infield dimensions are standard. And the outfield dimensions are different from each mm. each field to another field, is what I'm thinking. Yeah. It's, it's like Jamie said with the Olympic Stadium having the games. That's it's it's an all-purpose stadium itself, mm-hmm. but it's just it, it's not big enough. It wasn't big enough inside. So, like Jamie said, it was everyone was hitting a home run because it was like <laughs> it's, it's so close to to what it normally is. Um, but yeah, it just wasn't. It was nice to have that. It just wasn't fit for professional purpose. I don't think. Right. The uh, last game we went to on the on the mainland U.S. Um, I was this far away from from catching a, a foul ball, and I didn't move. My legs were were crossed, and I was unable to move. And the ball was like right over my shoulder, and it's like that's my biggest regret of the year is not catching that foul ball. <laughs> Um, so, so what else do you like your pastime then other than being a sports well, fan and, and being a chef and being the business owner what else do you find yourself doing you know that that keeps me pretty busy um, helping people with, with their health is big and writing a lot if, if people visit my website hawaiifoodtours.com there's a lot of kind of interesting writing that I do and uh and so that kind of is pleasurable for me also as having a background in writing. So that's really good. And, you know, I take care of my family and I cook all the time and try to come up with new flavors and tastes and stay in touch with a lot of my buddies and that kind of thing. So nothing extraordinary right now, just being a regular guy and um, and hoping that I can just continue to, to do really cool things, you know. What's all this going on behind you then? Like, are these your works or...? Well, this right here is the license plate for my Hawaii Food Tours van. Can you see it? It says eat. (laughs) So that's, I don't know what you, you don't call them license plates in the UK, right? Uh, registration uh, number plates or number plates. number plates yeah. Yeah. so that's yeah. the number plate that that we had for all those years and um, this painting here with the wine glass is is what my wife Lynn 
painted because, you know, what else are you going to paint for a guy who's a chef and who loves food and (laughs) loves to drink? And then this other thing is just uh, some groovy colors that I found somewhere at a garage sale or jumble sale or whatever. Um, is there any Hawaiian that, that you can speak to us? Yeah, I could say happy birthday, haoli, la hanau, um, and that's happy birthday. And I could say Merry Christmas, mele kalikimaka, and, uh, and I could say hello, aloha. And I could say goodbye, aloha. (laughs) See, double purpose there. And, um, you know, various other words kind of pop up whenever you you might want to use them. Uh, I could say thank you, which is mahalo. Mm -hmm. And, uh, oh, I'll tell you a funny story about the word mahalo. It means thank you in Hawaiian. But when I first moved there, I would see uh, rubbish bins that had mahalo written on the side of it. And for the longest time, I thought the word mahalo meant rubbish bin, but it was actually, it means thank you, like for throwing away your rubbish. And um, so that happens to everybody who goes there for the first time. They see that word mahalo on rubbish bins. They think that means rubbish, Um, but it doesn't. It means thank you for throwing it away. (laughs) So uh, Honolulu is a a really uh, interesting city perhaps more international than almost any other city, with the exception of parts of New York. Mm -hmm. Uh, So very, very Asian culture. And, you know, a lot of white faces have moved to Hawaii from the mainland. And so it's kind of an interesting cross between uh, a lot of people from other countries, a lot of people from the U.S. mainland. So it's kind of an interesting place. Have you guys been yet? I haven't been that far. Uh, I've been to the U.S. a couple of times, but not as far as, as Hawaii yet. But it is on the well, list. It is definitely when, on the list. You know, before you come, let me know, and I'll I'll give you all the information you need to have a great time. Appreciate it. Yeah, cool. Thank you. Um, Hawaii is the only, yeah, it's the only American state where it has a foreign flag on the flag. Um, that's that's the, right. Like, yeah, Yeah, um, I think that's quite interesting. It is, Jamie. I think that Hawaii and Britain were very, very close in the early 1900s. I think our royal families at that time were extremely close, and um, I think our royal palace was the first building in Hawaii to have electric light and in part due to our connection with the Brits uh, who helped us through a lot of that uh, was part of the reason why Hawaii became such a big, uh, I guess, kingdom or, or, or neighborhood or whatever was because of our wonderful relationship with you guys. Is it true that, that spam is a delicacy in Hawaii? Some people really, really love it, and a lot of people really, really hate it. And it's one of the things that we would definitely serve on our Hawaii food tours, only because it has that name recognition and the whole media thing, where people would say, oh, no, thanks. They turn their nose up to it. But, you know, what we do with Spam here in Hawaii was um, is we slice it, 
uh, saute it in a pan with some teriyaki sauce and put it on top of a piece of rice and then roll it in seaweed. So it's sort of like a piece of Spam sushi. <laughs> and the word for that is called musubi. So Spam musubi is like Spam sushi. And there are lots of people here who totally love it. And there are a lot of people here who totally like are repelled by it. But a big reason why it became so popular is because in World War II, the men who were fighting uh, in Europe had uh, canned rations and spam was a big ration that was given to the soldiers. And after the war, when the soldiers came back, they wanted to have spam that they got used to while they were fighting. And so it became real big in Hawaii, especially because everything is shipped here. So you need to have things that have a long shelf life. And one thing led to another. Now spam musubi is one of the biggest kind of snack foods here possible. <laughs> I mean, in terms of yeah. crazy um, food combinations, Jamie, is, is that up there with the fried Mars bar to you? I was just about to say something about that because, um, yeah, with some Scottish ancestry, everything just tastes be better fried in batter. And Spam is a perfect example of that. You can get that at the uh, local chip shop up the road, and that's very nice. Um, but yeah, um, I guess I have quite a um, beige kind of food color palette. So, um, yeah. My experiences with food aren't really adventurous, but uh, yeah, no, that sounds sounds good. You are so right, Jamie. Uh, anything that's battered and fried, I'm there, and um, and definitely when when I was living in London for those years, I fell in love with donor kebabs. And still to this day, if I ever have an opportunity at that, I will jump at the opportunity to eat that. <laughs> It's the perfect example of something that is so bad for you, but it's just incredible if you've been drinking. You know, um, it is delicious no matter what time of day you have it, whether or not you've got alcohol coursing through your system or whether or not you're just hungry or something just damn good. So um, people would always say when I was in London, you know, locals like you guys would say, why do you want to have that, mate? It's like, it's garbage. I said, bring it on. I'm fine with that. You know, it's like, what else are you going to eat, right? It's, it's like, is there such a thing as junk food in, in Honolulu? And is that, do you have like, I guess, do you have McDonald's and, and that sort of thing there? Or? Definitely. All of the junk food places exist here. However, my role as a foodie ambassador for Hawaii is to always steer people away from the junk food. I always say, don't go to any of the chain restaurants because you can get that back home. So you're here in Honolulu. We're an international city. You want some great food? Let me tell you where to go. And it doesn't have to be expensive. So there's a lot of stuff that's really like pedestrian, uh, low cost, great food, but it's not McDonald's and it's not, you know, Wimpy Burger or whatever. It's, mm. it's an individual mom and pop independent restaurant. And that's where I usually point people. That's interesting, yeah. And pro probably good advice for people that are, are just aren't aware of it then, I'm guessing. 
I think that people should definitely try local foods no matter where they go. And they should not be so uncomfortable to always go to the familiar places that they go to back home because otherwise, what's the point of travel? Mm. I'm, I'm guessing a, a big part of it is, is maybe the language barrier, possibly, or just the nervousness of going to a, a local restaurant and, and trying to blend in as a local without trying to seem as this scared tourist that, you know, and if you can't speak the language as well, then it's just a, an added barrier just to get something to eat. Well, you know, fortunately here in Hawaii, we do speak English. It is our mm. first language, but there are a lot of Filipinos and Thai people and Vietnamese and Chinese and, and especially Japanese primarily, mm -hmm. but English is the first language. So people should not feel in any way intimidated to, to come here. Yeah, it's a little unusual, um, but you can get by with just plain old English and people will love your accent if you come here. <laughs> That's one thing. Americans are suckers for for the language and the speakers from the United Kingdom. It is true. Yeah, I, I, I don't know what it is. It's just this <laughs> magical effect that we have on on the American people. I know. I wish it was the other way around as well. I wish that you guys enjoyed our accent sense but um, for right now we love yours for sure <laughs> um, I asked you off air a couple of days ago to name something underrated and overrated and it could be anything absolutely anything as spicy as you want it to be and we've had some spicy opinions let me tell you that what have oh, you got I for bet. us wow okay let's see you know, I put a lot of thought into it when you asked me that question, and now I'm having a little bit of a brain fart. <laughs> so uh, maybe we'll have to come back to that after I try to reorganize my brain. How does that sound? That's good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh, that's um, a great question. Anything you want to ask us? Yeah, I want to know. Um, do you guys have any sort of a special method as far as doing your recording and getting it out to people in, in a marketing sense? Um, that part of it, I think, is something that it, it, it feels like you, you either don't do it or it just comes so naturally that and there's just no in-between. And I just think trying to, well, I mean, we promote it as well as we can. It's on Facebook, it's on Twitter. You can find it on Spotify, Apple, Amazon, but it, it is getting it from A to B. That's that is the secret ingredient, really. And it's I don't think yet that we've figured that out. But um, if you've got any tips, <laughs> how you know, I'm guessing you you had this with your business to advertise your business. You know what what worked for you. Well, you know, you have to reach out to folks who who can help. And so if I were to promote you, which I will, mm -hmm. I would I would put you guys on my website. I would put you guys on my social connections and I would ask you to submit and contribute a little written piece about yourself. So then you know, people who have sites can help you, like we help each other sort of uh, 
by by networking. And so right, right now, because of the the internet, I think networking is a really important part of it. So, you know, people want to know what your personalities are like and what what's behind the scenes, you know, behind just your faces talking to one another and to guests like myself. We want to know what you're thinking and, you know, your background and why you got into this and, and, and that kind of thing. The more human you make yourselves, the more that uh, people will follow you and, and want to be a part of your world. That's really good advice. And then we, we appreciate that. That's, that's very nice of you. Because you have a, you both have a really great kind of comfortable style with each other, but the more that you share about your background and your desires and your dreams and your wishes, the more that we become engaged with mm. you, want to listen to you, want to watch you, want to learn more. Yeah, um, a, a friend of a um, yeah a relative of a friend was saying that what they particularly enjoyed about the podcast was my little cricket rants. Uh, they found them quite entertaining. Um, so I guess it's things like that, isn't it? Just the, yeah. And I guess kind of the the back and forth that we have as well. Um, mm. Kind of the things that, that that make us what we are, I guess. And, uh, and we've got to yeah, do a good job to sound that. The banter is is a great thing. And that's why people will want to tune in because of that and your personalities that you're showing each and every day. I think that that's a lot of fun for people to, to kind of hitch a ride on because so many folks just need some company. Uh, I listen to podcasts all the time. And uh, instead of listening to music when I go to bed, I'll just put on my, my headphones and, and I'll listen to a podcast and fall asleep to that. So a lot of people are totally into it, whether they're, they're watching the YouTube version or they're listening to the podcast version. So I think it's fun to be able to get people's attention in both different mediums like that. Mm. It's true. And I, you are right with the current age. It's so easy to, to connect with people. But I think it is just just that it is that point between us and the people, and that's it's like the easiest thing to do and the hardest thing to do at the same time. But I think once you hit that point, the rest of it will just follow. Like you hit two people, they'll tell one person, and then hit two more people, they'll tell another person, and I think it's just that that initial explosion of, of like attention. I think we'll, we'll, we're going for, and I think that will help. It will help. And you know, this kind of thoughtful conversation is so cool. And, and that reminds me, okay, you were asking about something that's overrated and something that's underrated. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and this will all work together based on what we were just talking about. The overrated thing are, are uh, in my mind right now is TikTok, where <laughs> It's a 15 second or 20 second, usually pretty stupid video. Uh, and it captures so many people's attention for a very, very short span, short mm. attention span. I much prefer the long form stuff like this, where I can really get a feel for the people. Mm. And so the overrated aspect of the internet and society today, in my mind, is that really brief kind of momentary where everyone is looking at their phone for like 15 seconds and they think that they get to know the world a little bit. Mm. But I think 
that long-form communication is much more deep and I'll get to learn more about you and your background if we have a conversation instead of just brief bang-bang type of entertainment. Oh, I like those answers. Yeah. I mean, a previous guest did say overrated for him was Martin Scorsese movies. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, a lot of Hollywood is overrated, yeah. that's for sure. <laughs> um. We have two minutes left. Okay. Is there anything you want to ask Jamie before we... Oh, have I got any questions? I thought you were asking if he'd got any questions. Oh, no, me. sorry. <laughs> I was giggling. Um, no, I think... I think um, I think that we've had a... Yeah, good old chat. And I think, yeah, you answered everything that... Everything with a great deal of thought and just, yeah, just general. Mm. Yeah, just been a pleasure to speak. You guys are really awesome. Jamie, David, um, if you guys or any of, any of the people watching now want the world's greatest cookie recipe, okay. I've got that. I'll give it to you for free. If you just, if you email me, Matthew at HawaiiFoodTours.com or go to my website and contact me. Um, people have cookies, but you call them what in the UK? Uh, yeah, we call them cookies too. Yeah. Uh, Excellent. So let me yeah. wet your appetite. Uh, yeah. yeah. It's chocolate. Biscuits as well. Es biscuits, biscuits right. Mm. Chocolate espresso yeah. toffee uh, cookies. They're just amazing. It's a very intricate recipe, but it is the best cookie in the world. And you can have it for free. Just contact me. Fantastic. Yeah. Listen, Matthew, absolute pleasure. Uh, thanks for giving your, your time. Um, yeah, just an amazing, amazing interview. Fantastic guest. Thank you, guys. You, you both of you are really awesome, and I, it's great to be a part of this. I, I can see that you guys can be very successful. Thank you so much. Thank you. You take care. You too. Yeah. Bye bye. Aloha. Aloha. <laughs> bye bye. <laughs>